0: But it's wonderful to see you here today. And I want you to turn with me, if you're with your Bibles, to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11. Instantly, we probably, if you're familiar with your Bible, you know that what this chapter is famous for and deals with. is one of my favorite chapters in the whole Bible, if you can have such a thing. Hebrews 11 Pick up reading with me in verse 17. By faith Abraham, when he was tried or tested, offered up Isaac. And he that had received the promise, promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it, it was said that in Isaac shall thy seed be called, accounting that God was able to raise him up even from the dead, from whence also he received him in a figure. Abraham received him back. And we all are very familiar with this account. I don't call them Bible stories because a story could be fictional. These are Bible accounts of what actually actually transpired in Abraham's life and in Isaac's life at this time. Just for Tom's sake, I'm going to read this account, what we read about. I'm going to read it originally from Genesis chapter 22. And it came to pass after these things that God did tempt Abraham. Uh, The temptation was not a temptation to sin. We know that clearly from the Bible. God's holy. He's without sin. And the Bible tells us in James that God cannot be tempted with evil, nor tempteth he any man with evil. But he does put his people in trials, in tests of our faith. And in those tests of our faith, we could obey or disobey. We could trust or fail to trust. And therefore, we might sin, But the Lord is not tempting us to sin. He's tempting us that our faith would be strengthened and built up for the glory of God. So as it came to pass after these things that God did tempt or try or test Abraham and said unto him, Abraham, and he said, Behold, here I am. He said, Take now thy son, thine only son Isaac, whom thou lovest, and get thee into the land of Moriah and offer him there for a burnt offering. This wasn't just a baby dedication He was going to offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains, which I will tell thee of. And Abraham rose up early in the morning and saddled his ass and took two of his young men with him. And Isaac, his son, and clave the wood for the burnt offering, rose up and went unto the place which God had told him. We'll just stop there. We know the account. We know the story. But the Bible tells us in Hebrews that by faith, Abraham, when he was called... He offered up Isaac. It's a very simple thought, but it's nothing simple about it. When Abraham was called, he offered up his son Isaac, and he did it by faith. The Bible says that later in that passage we read in Hebrews 11 that he received him back. He, he offered him up and he received him back from the Lord in a figure or a parable That's what that means. It received him back in a figure. It says in King James, it means a symbol or a parable. It was a parable of a lot of things. He received him back because he didn't actually die, but he was as though he was resurrected because he was as well as dead. We understand that. He was given. Abraham was resigned. He had Determined, He had decided. He had given Isaac to the Lord. The knife was raised above him. And he was going to present him as a burnt offering to the Lord. The, the Lord spared him from that. I've heard a, Bible, a pastor say that God spared Abraham of a pain he didn't spare himself from. Jesus went all the way. He did die on the cross. But Abraham received him back. He received him back into his heart, received him back into his life, and y'all. There's a very simple thought this morning, but I I know the Lord would have us all, including myself, to hear this. And plain and simply, this: we give all to Christ. Abraham gave Isaac to the Lord. He was the child of the promise, every promise and hope of the covenant that God made to this man Abraham when he was in the land of the Ur of the Chaldees and separate you from these people unto a land that I will show you. And he begins to make the, the covenant with Abraham. And he reaffirms the covenant with Abraham. Every bit of that covenant was bound up in Isaac. Every inch of it, every thought of it was bound up in Isaac. And the Lord required him to give him. He was giving his all. And so we give all, this is not just for Abraham, we give all to Christ and he gives back to us, I would say, what is best, what is best for us, all that the, our creator and all that our redeemer deems best for us, he can place back in our hands in a different way which we're going to talk more about this as we go. When the Bible says, By faith Abraham offered up Isaac when he was called to. That word offered means to bring, to present, to bear towards. Everything was coming to God. He was coming towards the Lord. He bared Isaac to the Lord and offered him there on one of the hills on Mount Moriah as an offering, and God spared him from actually going through with it, but he was given. And listen to this, y'all. Wherever you are... In your walk with the Lord. However long you have been saved and know Jesus Christ and serve the Lord and how mature you and I are in the Lord. Maybe you just got saved recently, maybe you've been saved and and for a long time and have a wonderful relationship with God. Wherever we are, this is something that is taught in the scriptures, and it is this that all must be given to Christ. All must be given to Christ and for Christ. All must be placed upon that altar. All must be placed upon the altar. It's an altar of sacrifice and truly given, truly placed in God's hands. And so this altar that is spoken of, we know in the tabernacle and later in the temple, there were two altars. There was the brazen altar, or that was the altar for sacrifices where the blood was shed. On the outside of the temple, in the court. And everybody had to pass by that one. No, man, no man's getting in without the blood. Okay? That blood was shed, and there you had to pass that altar. Once having passed that altar, which is a sacrifice for sin that was made, then the priest could go in to the, to the tabernacle, and to, actually into the most holy place where there was another altar, no blood was shed there. That was an altar of incense, an altar of prayer, an altar of remembrance. It was an altar of fellowship and communion with God. This altar that, that Abraham brought Isaac to and the altar that we're speaking of this morning, was saying we as Christians must give all for Christ. It is that altar of sacrifice. It would be like the brazen altar. And it's not, uh, it's not merely symbolic. In other words, we could just say, okay, I give everything to Jesus. It's not uh, figurative. It's not a pretense. It is, in reality, it must be given to the Lord. You know, oftentimes when we talk, we talk about Christianity, we can be philosophical about it. There's nothing really philosophical about Christianity. It is real. It's real life. Jesus really died on the cross. He really rose. We really are sinners and without help in this world and without God in this world until we come to Christ and put our faith in Him. It's not figurative, it's actual. There are a lot of figurative words in the Bible, don't get me wrong, but when we're talking about all must be given to the Lord and placed on that altar and dedicated to God and sacrificed to God, it's not just an afterthought, it's not just a formality. There are wrestlings in our heart. And we give those things to God by faith as Abraham did. They must be given to the Lord, wholly given to the Lord, actually given to the Lord. God takes them or receives them from our hands, and then He gives back what, what He has sanctified, what He has sanctified in us. He receives it from our hands and from our hearts, if that's where it is. Certain that Isaac was in Abraham's heart. That's why God required it, him to, to offer his son. He receives it from us. And then He, by the kindness of the Lord and graciously from the Lord, he takes it from us. He helps us. He, he receives it from our hands. And I will be honest with you. You have probably experienced this this in your own life. When you come to Christ, there are things that he requires. He requires all. But in that all, some things are easy to give. I can look back at my life when I really surrendered to the Lord. My last semester at LSU, that was a big landmark time in my walk with Christ. And there were certain things that I easily gave up. I was glad they were out of my life. You know what I mean? I didn't enjoy them. They didn't mean that much to me, even though I participated in them. I gave them to God quickly. There are other things in our lives that are harder to give up. We all have those. You can fill in the blank for what that is or what those things are. Some things we give up quickly and, and are not a real struggle to give to God. <clears throat> Other things, perhaps because they have deeper roots within us, are harder to give. We'll talk more about that in just a moment. But the Lord receives that from us, and we have to remember that We know this as a a Bible truth, that we're purchased with the blood of Jesus, that you're not your own. Is that what the Bible tells us? Our body's the temple of the Holy Ghost. You're not your own. You've been bought with a price, not with uh, gold or silver, but with the precious blood of Christ. We have been bought. If I've been bought, then I don't belong to myself. I don't belong to myself, nor do the things that I have or will have in my life that God sends my way, that pass through my hands or come to to rest for a while in my hands. Those things don't belong to me either. We are the purchased possession of God. Paul understood this when he said, I'm crucified with Christ. Well, then he's dead. Yes, he's dead. Nevertheless, I live. Well, wait a minute, Paul. Which is it? I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. That's the same for every Christian. We identify with Christ by faith in his death on the cross, his cross, our cross, that His resurrection life would then be our resurrection life, life, and we would have it. I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but it's Christ that liveth in me in the life that I now live in the flesh. I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So Isaac, in the account that we're reading today, Isaac no longer belonged to Abraham. He gave him. He didn't belong to Abraham anymore. He belonged to God. And yet, he still had Isaac. Isaac belonged to the Lord, not Abraham. And yet, Abraham still had Isaac. This is how God works. This is what he requires. This is a, the kindness of the Lord and the goodness of the Lord. And it's not always easy. In fact, it's not easy. But all must be placed fully on the altar, firmly on the altar, and sacrifice to the Lord. It must be placed there willingly. God will lead us. He said, Abraham, I want you to go to this mountain and offer up your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love. He had another son. It was Ishmael, but Ishmael wasn't the son of the promise. This was the son that was promised through Abraham and Sarah, okay? And, And he required him... To, to give him, all must be placed and sacrificed by faith willingly. It doesn't say easily. We don't know that it's easy, but it must be of our own will. That is part of the lordship of Christ being the Lord over your life and my life, is that that will is no longer mine but his. Jesus in the garden right before he went to the cross, right, as he's praying and sweating drops of blood in agony, he says, Father, if it's possible, let this cup be removed from me. But the sentence doesn't even end there. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. So there's a resignation, not easy, but willingly of my own will. I surrender all to Christ. It's like going to the altar to get married. And I, I, I willingly choose this person to be my spouse for the rest of my life. It is my choice, my own free will. It's not a shotgun wedding. And we do this by faith. He then takes it from us or whatever it is he's required that we place. And he keeps from us. I'll say this, the Lord does keep things from us that he doesn't place back in our hands. Sinful things. The Lord requires things. We come and lay it at the altar. There are some things, not all things, that he keeps from us. Things that are harmful, things that are distraction, things that are hindrance to your walk of faith. And this is really where it starts boiling down to. What does God take from my life and keep from my life? He takes from my life and keeps from my life things that are hindering my walk with Jesus. He doesn't take things from my life that I enjoy possibly because he's cruel, because he's mean, because he's a God who doesn't believe in having any kind of fun or joy he takes things from our life, certain things, and keeps them from our lives because they are a hindrance to our walk with Christ. And much of what the Lord removes from our lives, much of it, is plainly and clearly, and I would say overtly sinful. You can just read the Bible and know it's a sin. Even a lost person knows these behaviors, activities, thoughts, whatever, are sinful. And so much of that what he takes away from is just plain old Sin. Sins, sinful habits, practices, sinful mindsets, ungodly attitudes. I'm talking about as a Christian now, still working on these things in our lives. Let me ask this. If anybody in here as a believer ever had an ungodly attitude, I'd be the first to raise my hand because I would be lying if I said I didn't. God works to remove They're plainly sinful, ingratitude, complaining, jealousy, covetousness. Uh, laziness, all right, he's working simple pursuits, carnal-mindedness, carnal living, worldliness. He convicts us of our sin. We agree with God. That's what confession means. Confession doesn't just mean say it, okay, God, I sinned. No, confession of sin means we agree with God. You're right. I'm wrong. I stand guilty before you. I'm calling on you for mercy. Forgive me. It's an agreement with God, agreeing with God. We confess to the Lord and we turn to him and he forgives us and he cleanses us and he works by his Holy Spirit. Not only does he forgive us of that sin, but he's working mightily in us that we don't repeat that sin, that we don't live in a pattern of that sin. Thank God for forgiveness. Where would we be? Where would I be as a Christian many, many years into this thing if there wasn't daily forgiveness and washing in the blood of Jesus? But also, you know what there is beside that? There's a working of the Holy Spirit to make us more like Christ. That's, that's actually taking place as well. So he's working in us to take that practice of sin, maybe in certain areas we practice sin, it's a habit, and he wants to free us from that and remove that from us. And what he does is he moves us onward in Christ, upward and onward in Christ is the way I always picture it, upward and onward. And and like I said, certain things are easy to give up. Same with uh, certain sins. We get saved, and much of our carnality, just right off the bat, within the first 24 hours maybe, first week, first month of our salvation, a lot of sins are just clean gone, just cleaned up. But a lot of them are not, right? A lot of them the Lord's still working on in our lives. As I said, there are things, there are sins, maybe because we are more proponent prone to that sin, may we liked it more, or may we stayed in it longer. That particular sin, as a believer, born again, washed in the blood of Jesus, there are sins that had deeper roots in our hearts and lives. You know what? The Lord is still the answer for both of those. The sins that we might not have trouble with, and we kind of wonder, why does so-and-so struggle with this? Because we're not attracted to it, and it's not a sin to us. But we have sins in our lives that don't, don't bother them. But Jesus Christ is the answer for both. There's not, not, not a sin that we should put on a pedestal and, and say, well, this, this is going to take special. No, it takes the blood of Jesus and repentance. We might have to give more attention to it because it seems to have a, or it does have a stronger hold on our life. But there's no new method. It's the blood of Jesus Christ. It's the working of the Holy Spirit. And by the grace of God, walking in obedience to Christ. And he helps us and sets us free, whether it's easier or harder. Now, I want to get really to the crux of the message this morning. Giving all to the Lord. Some of those things are overtly sinful. He takes them away and he keeps them away. Drinking, cursing, could be relationships that are ungodly. He takes them and they're gone. They're out of our lives. And he wants them out of our lives because they're sin. But some of what God requires of of us to place on his altar and sacrifice to him are things that are not sinful. Do y'all know that? I know that you do. God requires of his people to lay all on the altar. And some of that all is not all sinful. Some of that all could be good things, and yet he requires it nonetheless. Isaac, in and of himself, was not a sin. Isaac was not a sin to Abraham or to his life. In fact, he was the promised child. He was actually the blessing from God. In Isaac shall thy seed be called. And then he, God calls him, Abraham, Abraham, to offer him as a burnt offering. Sometimes what God requires of us, notably there are times that God requires us to give things that are not sinful. All means all. All means all. Sometimes, I just want you to think, I really do, I want you all to think for a moment as I'm sharing what God has has given us this morning. And you try to fill in the blank, give it an honest thought. All means all, and sometimes we would rather die than live without such and such. Lord, you can require anything of me, but please... Please, Lord, just between you and me, please don't require this of me. Do you have something that you would put in that spot? I think for all of us, there's sometimes we would, we think it easier to, to give up our own lives than to give up fill in the blank. It'd be easier for me to die than to give this up or live without this. Can I tell you something? Not not being harsh or cruel. For me, I'm under this same word. You're under. That's exactly what God is after. That thing you filled in the blank with. Said, "I'd rather die than live without such and such." And it's a good thing. It's not a sinful thing. That's what He's after. That's what the Lord is after. That's part of that all that must be offered up to Almighty God and placed on the altar. So likewise, Jesus said, Whosoever be of you that forsaketh not all that he hath, he cannot be my disciple. Some of that all, that's good things. Some of the all are good things. They're not sinful things. Smoking and cussing and drinking and all these other things. Some of that all that is given fully to the Lord that he requires in and of itself is not sinful. It's not wicked. It's not immoral. It's not clearly forbidden in the scriptures. Yet nonetheless, God requires it from his children. Why does he do this? He requires it in order for us to go on with him and the question simply is this do you you want to go on with the Lord I'm not asking nor is the Lord asking do you want to be saved not asking do you want to go to heaven when you die but the question here if you're saved and washed in the blood of Jesus then you are going to heaven when you die the question here is do you want to go on With Christ it is a walk with the Lord it is a life spent with God it is a relationship it's a movement we're moving from here he's bearing us along and carrying us and moving us from glory to glory and working in us as the the good uh, the potter's working on the clay it is required for us and he requires it of us to give all in order for us to to go to what he has for us next could be a growth step spiritually a growth step could be a new revelation that he wants to give us like he gave Paul abundantly could be a new mission a new ministry a new assignment could be a new season of life in Christ and yet he's calling us to give up things that aren't sinful a lot of the sinful things praise God they're in the rearview mirror now not all a lot of our sinful practices, the longer we've been walking with the Lord, many of those things are totally in the rear view mirror, and they not, they're not part of my life anymore. The Lord says, now let's deal with this. Well, Lord, this, this isn't a bad thing. This is something you actually gave me. Like, who's so fond of the wife finds a good thing? Your low children are heritage, heritage from the Lord. They're blessings from the God, God, and yet Abraham required, God required Abraham to give Isaac his only son. Many of the things he requires are actually blessings from the Lord, and yet he requires them from us. There are things that he wants us to sacrifice and give up to him. Good things, we would say, things we like, things we love, things we have grown fond of, things we have grown used to. And I would say this is a lifelong process, it's a lifelong process of you individually just walking with the Lord and praying and reading your Bible and coming to church and obeying and walking with Christ all through your life. And He begins to show you. And I wake up and I say, Randy, you know what? I got some things I still have not given to God. How did I know that? Because He showed me that. He's a good shepherd. He's also my friend who sticks closer than a brother and your friend and your good shepherd. And you wake up and you say, you know what? God, I've got things I have not given to you yet. I've been walking with you a long time. And I have not surrendered these to you. That's what God's after. It doesn't have to take forever. There are things that we have grown attached to. There are things that we have grown dependent upon. There are things that are not sinful in and of themselves And yet the Lord knows they have gained too much prominence in our hearts. He can see it. He looks at our hearts and our lives. We might not see it yet. The Lord knows that good thing that I gave to Randy, it's a good thing. It's a blessing from God. It's something he prayed for and I wanted him to have. It's gained too much prominence in his life. Too lofty a position in his heart. God sees that. In order for me to go on with him, he requires it to be given to him. Actually, literally, it's not symbolic. We give it to the Lord. It hinders my walk with the Lord. God sees that. He sees that we're in danger of loving or cherishing those good things, people, relationships, whatever they may be, above him in your life. You know that there can be nothing above the Lord in your heart and your life. Jesus came and died and rose again that he might be both Savior and Lord. Couldn't be our Lord if he's not our Savior, but he's actually called Lord more times in Scriptures than he is Savior. And we give our lives to Christ, and he begins to work in us. And he begins to take sinful things out of our life, and then he begins to require things that aren't sinful and for it to be laid up on the altar our hearts must be our hearts must be fully his if you're dead and your life is hid with Christ in God you're dead our hearts must be fully the Lord's and y'all this is not some special brand or a breed of christianity this is just christianity this is just Christianity. If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. I want to read this. You can turn with me, if you would, in your Bibles to Revelation chapter 2. We're going to just read three verses. Revelation 2. This is Jesus, the one that John saw when he was on the island of Patmos and felt his feet as dead And he walked in the midst of the golden, seven golden candlesticks. The Lord was walking. John saw him walking in the midst of his seven churches in Asia. Each church had a name. And he says this about the church in Ephesus. The Lord says, I know thy works. Now, obviously, the people in Ephesus didn't really see all this as clearly, but God sees it perfectly. I know thy works and thy labor and thy patience. These are all good things. And how thou canst not bear them which are evil. And thou hast tried them which say they are apostles and are not, and has found them liars, and is born and has had patience, and for my namesake has labored and has not fainted. Those are all wonderful things. I would want them to be, every one of those, a characteristic of my life and of Cornerstone Church. No doubt about it. It's not rebuking them for those things. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee because thou hast left thy first love. So doing all these right things and standing against false teachers and false prophets and actually judged them and found them to be liars and put them out and so forth, he says, nevertheless, I have something against you. And it was a pretty big thing. In fact, I can't think of anything much bigger. You've left your first love. First love. First love. Not a love. Not one of the top three. Christ died to be our Savior and Lord and he is to reign and rule in our hearts without rival. Without a rival. Some of y'all watch the college football stuff and the playoffs and all that are coming, you know, the arguments who should have been in there and who shouldn't been in the playoffs and all that, and they're battling for a position. And there could be one It's so close and you can't really tell, you know, this this one should have made it, this one's and you can't good arguments for both sides. Our walk with God is not to be like that. We don't have any rivals. We don't have a close second in the rearview mirror. We don't have something, anything to fall back upon. It is Jesus. It is the Lord and everything under it that he has sanctified and placed back in our hands. That's it. That's when you're going to have real peace in your life, by the way, and real joy in your life. Because it's an undivided heart. It's an undivided heart. They left their first love and he rebuked them for it. I'm going to be bringing this on, but it's only when a thing, a relationship, a dream, dreams you have, only when all of that is truly given to the Lord that it truly is yours. It truly, if it's given to God, then it can truly be given back to you and to me in its right and proper place. I'll tell you why it is that way. The Lord knows. But when it's fully given to him and willingly given to the Lord, then he can take it from us, bear it away from us, and he can sanctify it. He can sanctify a good thing. That simply means to, to be uh, purify it or to consecrate it unto himself. And then he can place it back into our hands and back into our lives. After Almighty God receives it and removes it from it, removes it from us what he's doing actually is removing it from its improper place in our heart now sinful things he just wants gone things that aren't sinful like an Isaac whatever you have in your life that's good that maybe you you cherish or I cherish more than the Lord he wants to take it from us sanctify it and he wants to sanctify our hearts towards it And then he can place it back into our hands. It's only when something, you can't really truly be ours until it truly is given to the Lord. It makes no sense to the carnal mind, to the natural mind. The natural mind says, I'm going to get it. I'm going to put it under lock and key and I'll hold it and keep it. And I'm not letting anything pride out of my hands or out of my life. The Lord says, just the opposite. You open those arms wide and you give everything to me everything, yes, even that, and you place it on the altar and you're sincere about it and genuine about it, and you give it to me by faith, your hopes, your dreams, your future, your children, your spouse, your place in life, your uh, comfort, your finances, you place it all with the Lord. Let him sanctify it. Let it pass through the fire, so to speak, and he'll give back to you and to me what he knows is best. And he'll sanctify my heart in the process to where when he gives it back, it has the proper place in my life and not the improper place in my life. When we willingly and fully give things to God, that's the only, thing we can, only time we can say something is actually ours, when it's been placed in his nail-scarred hands by faith of our own free will. Didn't say it's easy. We do it by faith he can sanctify it, he can sanctify its place in our hearts, then he can give it back, back to us. However long that takes, I believe that's up to us. How long before I can surrender and give it to God and do it without grumbling and complaining and feeling sorry for myself or mad at God? can't believe God required this of me. I'm going to do it, God, because you're bigger than I am, but I really don't want to. I don't like it. I don't think it's fair, but I'm going to do it anyway. He'll take it. He's still got some work to do in my life, if that's my attitude. And only when that's done, because he's kind and good, he's going to make sure that work is done. It's passed through his hands. It's passed through the fire on the altar, and so have I. And then he can give that thing back to me, and guess what? It doesn't have any hooks in me doesn't have any strings attached. He can give me what he desires to give me, and it won't hinder my walk with the Lord. Guess what? It'll be really a gift from God then. I'll be a steward of it. And aren't we only just stewards? Even of these bodies in our life, we're just stewards of it. Not really, really ours. We didn't create ourselves. God created every cell in your body. It's not really ours. We belong to him. It includes our bodies, our future, and all our possessions, our family, loved ones. We give it to the Lord. We think, and He'll have it when He gives it back. It'll have its proper place in our hearts and lives. Maybe before, maybe before it was given to God as a Christian. maybe a thing, that child, that relationship, whatever it is, that dream, that pursuit. Maybe it was, or soon, to take to a place of too great of importance in our lives. We have good things that have too great of importance in our hearts. We loved it too much. We live for it, or him or her, too much instead of Christ. The Lord will not allow it. Aren't you glad he won't allow it? Aren't you glad he knows how to get to the bottom of the matter and settle it once and for all if we'll just let him? Think we can hinder that or hasten it depending on how quickly we surrender to the Lord. He must have those things or that thing so He can fully have us. He must have that thing or those things so He can then fully have us. We place all without reservation, without rival. Uh, a re- reservation we place it in his hand so he can reign without rival in our lives and hearts. And he'll put back in my hand what is best. <clears throat> it will truly be a blessing then and not a curse. Indeed, you can come. It won't be a curse. It won't be a distraction to my walk with Christ. It won't be a hindrance. Why, why am I not going on further with the Lord? We could look behind us and we've got a big rope tied behind us. We're trying to drag something along. That God says, that's why you're not going on with me. Look behind you. This doesn't work where you're going. Not part of this life that I've called you to. Give it to me. might not be a sinful thing. It might just be part of your all. And everything that the Lord requires. Then he can give it back to us. And he can give it back to us in such a way it's not. A distraction it's not a hindrance to my Christianity or my walk with the Lord or growth and it won't ever be a rival for my first love won't be a rival rival for our first love we're not in danger of losing our first love because what we thought we couldn't live without we've given to God He's sanctified and really taken it. it doesn't have that same place in my heart I don't love it any less but something's different about it now and it belongs to the Lord. And I see it as belonging to the Lord. And he can give it back. And it's not going to take me away from Christ. Closing just with this thought. The Lord is kind to us. I will say this. He strengthens us. And strengthens our faith to do it. Because I know you, if you're honest with yourself. And sitting there thinking. You're saying there's no way. I hear what he's saying. there's no way in the world. I could give this whatever it is. The Lord strengthens you and strengthens me, our faith to give it. And then he actually bears us along through the whole process to comfort our hearts and strengthen us moment by moment to give it all to him. We'll get back. Abraham received Isaac back. He counted by faith that God, the one he was given Isaac to, was able to raise him up even from the dead. And he received him back. That's the way I picture what's given to God. If it's a good thing like Isaac, if it's a good thing, he's going to give that Isaac back to us. And that Isaac will be different. We'll receive him back in a figure, so to speak, from the Lord. I'm closing with one thought. I've shared it before, it just made an impression on me as I was reading his book, F.B. Meyer's book. I think it's called The Christ Life for Your Life. The little old books that are falling apart, those are the best ones of all, amen? hundred pages, they can say a lot in a hundred pages. And he shares a personal testimony. This man was saved, he was a wonderful man of God over in England. And <coughs> baptized in the Holy Spirit, living for God some point in his walk with Christ when he's walking with the Lord God required something of him he never says in the book what it was and it doesn't really matter God required something of the man to give to him God said "Uh, Meyer there's a little place in your heart there's a little room in your heart basically is the way he described it and I don't have the key to it and you've got something in there that you're not given to me and I'm requiring that of you and he says oh Lord anything but that anything but that don't don't touch that part he says I can't even give it to you God I can't even give it to you he says but if you'll come take it it'll, it'll be yours just come take it I can't even give it to you come take the key and have it there are things in our lives like that. I'm not saying every day, maybe once in a lifetime, maybe a few times in a lifetime. I can't tell you what God's requiring of you. I'm telling you, he's requiring your all just like he is of me. And he says, God took it, took the key, unlocked the door, cleaned it out, made it a habitation for God. And it was gone. Thought he couldn't do it. Thought he couldn't live without it. And he did. He was so thankful. And he writes about it and testifies of it. Y'all, the altars are open. I want you to stand. I encourage you. We're not having prayer tonight. Would you take some time this morning and get to this altar and pray? You might be like F.B. Meyer. You know what God's required. And you said, I can't, can't possibly give that, God. Anything but that. And the Lord says, no, that, that. And he's going to help us and he's going to strengthen us. Father God.